Today's scripture is Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hey, uh, the band this morning? So the soundboard blew out over here, so they didn't have any ear monitors, and they're using this big thing here, and they're just flying blind, and they killed it anyways. So um, I did not say that. So, oh, I mean, plus, plus Danielle is back from Texas. Not like back, back, like one day back, but it was great to have you lead us again, and we're all praying that you lose your job out there and have to come back here, and... Uh, for your sake, not ours. Um, but uh, again, that, that mythological suitcase of money that's out there, if anybody finds it, we got to buy a new one of those this week. There you go. All right. Um, so I know what you're thinking. You read this and you said, wait a minute. He taught on this two weeks ago. And you're right. Uh, but remember, um, we, we focus on, chapter, on verse 42 here. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and we talked about that, and to fellowship, and we talked about that, and to the breaking of bread, and we talked about that, but we did not talk about prayer. And so I wanted to spend a whole morning talking about prayer, and while I was writing, I put out a Facebook post and uh, some, some emails and some texts like, hey, give me some questions on prayer that you have, because I want to make sure the things that I'm teaching are actually answering questions that people have. And so many questions were raised that like, shared the same themes that there's no way I can fit them all in this morning. So we're doing two, possibly three weeks on prayer, okay? Um, this week, that's good. Okay, good. Um, I'm like, more acts, but more, we'll do more prayer. Um, and uh, this week, I'm going to sort of lay a, a, sort of a foundation, like a base note, like what is Christian prayer? Um, it is not like other forms of prayer. It is specific it flows out of a specific thing and a specific mindset. So we're going to lay that foundation today, um, and we're going to talk about um, sort of methods and modes of prayer. And next week, I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of sort of what I think are myths about prayer. I'm going to answer a lot of questions about why am I getting everyone to pray for this specific thing? Does it, if there's more people, if I get more likes, does God answer my prayer more? Uh, what's the role of the Spirit? Um, why do we say amen? Why do we say, you know, why, why, why the language? All of that. So I'm going to try to tackle as much of that as I possibly can and let it make sense. Um, so why don't I just uh, open up a word of prayer and I'll jump into this. And I have a tons, of drawing, tons of drawings this morning. It'll be great. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Um, you are a God full of wisdom. Uh, you are a God who reveals himself to us through Son Christ. And so I ask now that you would reveal yourself to us afresh uh, through your body of Christ here. Um, I pray that we would hear some things we need to hear, see some things we need to see. Let our eyes be open and our ears be open. Let us listen and see um, your path forward, what you have for us 
as I speak, may I remember the things that I've studied and speak clearly, keep distractions from us. Let us be here in presence and alert and, and a part of each other here. Thank you, Father. All of this in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what the first Christians were doing once the Spirit of God fell upon them. This is what they were doing. This is how they were living um, when they got together. And they got together several times a day, regularly, much more than we ever do. Um, and so oftentimes we hear that they spent time in prayer, and we assume what they were doing is what we're doing. Um, and most prayer today is just free-form, flow-of-consciousness kind of prayer. We start off with like, we don't know what we're going to say. We start off with, let's pray. Dear God. And from there, we're like, okay, what am I going to say? Thank you, first off, for all this stuff. Um, and then we're like sort of, it's stream of consciousness. We're looking for things to say, the right things to say, the right words. Um, and that is not at all what the other Christians were doing. That is not um, how this sort of worked for them. So um, hopefully by the end of today, you'll have sort of a picture of this. So I want to talk about two modes of prayer that that we see today that we, uh, that we don't see necessarily the followers of Jesus doing, but we see a lot of followers of Jesus today doing these things. And we see in the ancient world um, different, I guess, religions doing these things. The first one I'm going to call uh, and draw for you here is called pagan prayer, okay? This is the best description of it I could come up with. It's, it's, it's somebody standing and calling across the great void, right, to God and making your request. Dear God... Please, 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 please give me this. Do this. Let this happen. And we're projecting our requests out into the ether, and we're hoping that God hears us, although we're not always sure if he's listening. Um, and in the ancient world, this was, was pagan prayer. This was, it took the form of like you would approach a specific God if you needed rain for your crops. Um, oh, God of rain. Fall upon us. If you needed sunlight, if you had too much rain, oh, Ra, the sun god, please um, shine your light down upon us. Um, um, if you needed children, you couldn't get pregnant, you'd go, oh, goddess of fertility, um, do your thing, right? Like, and, and this is how we pray um, pagan prayers, just calling out. And oftentimes in the ancient world, um, our idea of grace, of like grace is just this free thing that is given, is not necessarily the ancient view of grace. Actually, we'll talk about that later on, um, especially heading towards Romans. We're going to sort of reform our idea of, of grace, what it is, how it worked. Um, uh, in, the, in the ancient world, if you asked for something, you were asking with, a, with sort of conditions of like, here's what I'll do for you. It's I guess the word of the season is quid pro quo. That's what it is, right? Like you're this for that, please. Um, and so if you read the words of Plato, it says, I give in order that, that you may give to me. This is why I give to you. And so, and so God, if you're, uh, I will go to church every week for the year uh, if you will give me this or that. Um, God, I will give um, half my money to charity if you do this. Um, God, I will do this if you do this. For me. Um, and then the, the good thing happens, and then you're kind of like, oh, it's a coincidence. It doesn't really, I don't really have to give half my money to charity. I already got the thing. I don't know. Why would I give it all away now? Um, or um, we're just, we're not sure, and so we're begging and we're pleading. Um, and this is, tends to be how pagan prayer kind of, kind of 
works. There's this lofty figure who may or may not be listening or may or may not do very much about us in our world. So all you can do is send off this message like a marooned sailor with a message in a bottle and hope that it gets there and hope that they find it. Um, Pagan prayer takes an awful lot of faith and hope, a lot of it. Um, It's got a very nebulous picture behind it, right? Um, Is this going to work? It takes a lot of faith and a lot of hope. Um, you see this a lot in fundamentalist circles. You see this a lot in uh, really super conservative fundamentalist evangelical circles. The idea that, um, that you're, you're begging for God, but you also have to, it usually comes with, comes with it, usually is, is like this stack of guilt that comes with it. So like you have to spiritually perform well, or you're not going to get your prayer answered, um, and God only answers or listens to the prayers of the righteous and the good, and, and we'll use some scriptures and we'll remove them from context and change them to lay that upon you, to make you feel extra guilty as a means of making you live holy. Um, so that God will answer your prayers. And it's a quid pro quo. You're making deals with God, right? Um, so this is what a lot of people are doing, what most people I would say today are also doing. Um, it's not Christian prayer. It's not what Christian prayer actually is. Um, so the next type of prayer I would, I would talk about is called uh, pantheistic prayer. Now, in pantheistic prayer, your view of the world is a little different um, because you yourself... Um, inhabit a world that is um, sort of, that has sort of has this divine sort of being, right? The sun is uh, divine and, and you are divine and the ledge you're standing on is divine and there's a tree and it's divine and then there's some birds and they're divine and there's some mountains and they're all, where's my mountains? There's my mountains. They're all divine. And so in pantheistic prayer, you, you, you tend to Instead of going outwards and projecting and reaching for something and begging, calling out for something, you're going inwards. You are, um, you're, you're sinking in, into sort of the divine all around you, sort of like the, the flow, as you would say. Um, and uh, it's simply getting in tune with the deepest realities of the world and oneself. Divinity is everywhere, including within me. You'll hear phrases sometimes from, from when Christians get involved in pantheistic prayer, they'll pray prayers like, they'll say things uh, like, um, Jesus is the one and only Son of God, and so am I, and so are you, right? Like, and and I've, I've, heard, I've heard this a lot. Um, and it, it flows a lot in, in very progressive circles, uh, Christian circles. Um, and it's sort of, um, well, yeah, it's, it's for the most part, it's, I guess I would say it's healthier than, than pagan prayer, but it's not, it's still not Christian prayer. It's still not what it is. It's still not what, what the Christians were doing. Um, and I would argue not what the Christians today really, um, if, if you have an understanding of apostolic teaching, that, that's not the kind of prayer um, you're really focused on. Um, and so prayer is therefore not so much, in pantheistic prayer, prayer is not so much addressing someone else who lives somewhere else, but it's discovering and getting in tune with the inner truth uh, and life uh, that are to be found within my own heart, within the silent rhythms of the world around us, right? It's a, it's a lot healthier, I guess, than pagan prayer, like I said. Um, but it's not more Christian than pagan prayer. It's, it's, it's very prominent in progressive churches, which tend to portray God as either part of creation, like panentheism, or inactive in creation, sort of like a watchmaker who winds up a clock and sets it on the table and steps back. Like he made it, he designed it, and he wound it up, and he sets it down and just lets it go, but he doesn't intervene, right? It's more like deism. And so all of this is sort of wrapped up in the, in the same thing. Um, these modes of prayer... Um, they're probably things that a lot of you have, have done and, and, and practice. Um, I want to give you something else. I want to give you 
Christian prayer. Um, you know, the, the prayers that the apostles passed down from the early Christians. And Christian prayer centers on something different. I know you read the scripture sometimes and you see, in the Old Testament especially, you sort of see what appears to be pagan prayer. You'll see Moses standing and calling out to God and saying, Oh Lord, save your children. Rescue us from the hand of our enemies. King David doing this. Um, you'll see it in the Psalms. And, and this appears on the outside to be pagan prayer calling out across the abyss. But in reality, it's not. Um, in reality, um, they never accepted that this is the way things should be or were meant to be. They always viewed God and human beings as intended to dwell and inhabit the same space, to be together. Um, us walking, walking with and knowing and following God in our office, fulfilling our vocation. Um, and so calling out across the gap was always intended to be sort of like, let's, let's close the gap. They understood that there was sort of a space between heaven and earth, and they were calling for that to be closed, for that to end, okay? Um, so... Uh, in the Old Testament, this is what is sort of happening here. And, and the reason they're calling out, um, the reason that, that we don't necessarily pray in the same way that they did is because they have what we would call an incomplete picture of God. Um, oftentimes, it's, it's a picture put together piecemeal from the words of the prophets, the visions of the scribes and the priests, um, the Torah, the law, where you're reading and you're trying to figure out the, the character of God from reading the Torah. Um, Oftentimes you are, you're, you're watching the sacrifices in the temple and you're trying to piece together, what does this say about God? And they're moving throughout the world with all these puzzle pieces. It's like you're sitting at the table and you have all these pieces and you're looking at them. You're trying to decide, is this, is it a horse? Is it a flower? Like, what am I putting, what are we putting together? Where is this heading? When this is all done, what will it look like? Um, this is sort of Old Testament, um, the vision of God. This is why prayer is very particular um, this is why we have things like the Lamentations, the Book of Lamentations. If you're ever mad at God, um, by the way, that's okay to be mad at God. That's what the Book of Lamentations is. It's an entire book of somebody yelling at God, telling God that what God did was not right and not just, and they didn't feel good about it at all, and, and they're confronting God. Read it sometime if you're feeling this way. Um, it is a righteous sort of like, here's what I'm expecting and here's what I'm getting. Um, so... Um, Christian prayer is different because it starts from a different place. Christian prayer starts with the assumption that the, the veil has been lifted and that we have seen clearly the future. Um, it also starts with the idea that the, the door has been opened from the inside and God has revealed himself to us. Um, and it starts from a place of understanding um, that the idea that that Jesus has revealed to us what it looks like when heaven and earth actually do come together, when the prayers of the Old Testament are fulfilled, when it all comes and merges together. The picture that we have is Jesus, the picture of restored humanity, the picture of reconciliation, of healing, of future wholeness, all of the pieces of the law, the prophets, Israel's history, their struggles, their prophetic insight and their visions and their dreams. Um, and it turns them into a human form and a human voice and a human life and a human death. And when you see wherever Christ is, he's teaching people the things that they are supposed to know. He's, 
He's bringing healing to those who need to be made whole again. He's including those who have not been included. He's reconciling people who have not been reconciled. He's restoring people to places of honor in the community from where they have fallen. He's bringing together warring factions, Israelites and, 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 and Roman centurions, and he's reconciling them together. And he's hanging on a cross, displaying what it looks like. Everywhere that Jesus taught and healed and hung on the cross, where he was resurrected, where, where he appeared to the people, everywhere you see that, we are getting, getting a picture of how the world is supposed to be. Remember, when you see miracles in the New Testament, the point of the miracles was never to be, uh, it was never supposed to be like, oh, look, he did some big magic trick. He must be God. He must be divine. Um, that was never the point. The point of the miracles was it's always a restoration of like, here's how things are meant to be. Here's how things are supposed to be. Sometimes it requires no miracle. It just requires restoration of people to each other. Other times, you got to make some blind people see again. Like this is what it means to make the world whole again. And this is the invitation that we are being called into. So prayer starts from a place that we believe that when earth and heaven come together, that we find the kingdom of God. This is where prayer starts. We are a people of the future, like I always say, and we are living in the present. We come from the future. Um, and we live here, and we understand what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, we understand how it will function. And so we have a starting point. And so Christian prayer is actually like standing at the fault line like Christ and becoming like someone holding ropes that are anchored in both worlds. And when we pray, we are, we are attempting to pull these things together. This is Christian prayer. Um, this is what it means. This is what it looks like. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when this happens, this is, this is how we pray. We're not shooting requests out into the ether. Okay? Do that with Santa Claus. This is, this is different. We are a conduit of God's love and grace and mercy. And we see something that is coming. And we have arms in both worlds. And we are in our prayers pulling them together. So it is no wonder that prayer is hard, that it's difficult. Um, and it is. If, uh, if you've ever been the kind of person that's always struggled with prayer, my whole life I've been one of those people that like you, you sit down to pray and you're like, dear Lord, I, I got nothing. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes you feel like that because you don't know what to say. Um, because there's so much to say. And so you, you, it's no wonder that we give up so easily. Sometimes it's, easy, it, it's, sometimes it's helpful to know and understand that prayer is a learned thing. It's a learned skill. It's not something you're good at right away. It's something that takes a while. It's something that, that each person sort of moves into on their own and, and, and adopts their own sort of form of liturgy, if you will. Um, and so when we pray, we're acting like that anchor and that connector, that conduit that holds these two things together. We're visualizing, we're naming, we're describing a world and a life that is restored to glory and wholeness again. And so sometimes you have this person in, in your mind that you're praying for. Um, and oftentimes it helps to picture yourself over their life, in the middle of the space, pulling these two worlds, heaven and earth together, the kingdom of God in their life. What does it look like when their life is restored? What does it look like when they're made whole? What does it look like when they are flourishing? 
And this is what we pray for. We're not praying that they would feel the weight of damnation and the suffering that they've instilled on everyone else. We are praying for reconciliation. We're praying for wholeness. We're praying for flourishing, not failure. We're praying for the kingdom of God to come in their lives. Now, how do we do this? Can this be done wrong? Uh, there are verses in scriptures that kind of hint at this. Uh, James isn't even hinting in 4.3. He says, you, do not, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And I get emails about this, like, what do you mean, what do you, mean you can pray wrong? Can you pray wrong? Of course. Um, and he's laying it out here, sort of like, you spend it on your passions. You're picturing your world and the world, and you're calling forth from God, the creator, the designer of the world in which you inhabit, and you, you're calling out to God and requesting your world. Here's what I want. Here's how I want my life to look. Right? Like, and, and this is what you're calling into existence. Apparently, there is a wrong way to ask, a way that is selfish, that is centered on ourselves, a way that's ineffective as a means of communicating with God. Um, and to keep from practicing the wrong way, the Jewish people had methods of writing prayers and, do, and, and praying prayers and pronouncing prayers that kept them from going off the rails and kept them um, praying in a way that was in, line, in alignment with the things of God, what God was doing in the world. Um, so there was this bit of a, a bit of a Jewish formula. It started off like this. It started off with uh, naming an attribute of God. So you're going to quote a piece of scripture, or you're going to point out something that God has done, or you're going to describe an attribute of God in some way from God's own revelations to us in scriptures in Christ and the church. Then your request is going to flow from the named attribute. You're going to say and. The reason I describe this attribute of yours, God, is because what I'm asking falls in line with this attribute, okay? And then it usually, not always, but it usually closes by declaring the source of the blessing. And I ask this through the name of your spirit, through the, through the presence of, of, of your son, through the reign and, and, and kingship of your son, who has the authority to do this, or um, through the creative power of the spirit, or through the illuminating um, wisdom of the Father. And, and there's usually an ending that they tack on there. Let me, let's look at a couple of uh, sort of examples here. You have Psalm 126. This is the whole psalm. It's really short. It's six verses. Um, and it, 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 the only thing it's missing sort of is the ending here. It says, it starts off with, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So he starts off saying, there was this one time where God did this thing, where there was these people who had lost everything, um, and God restored their position. God gave everything that they had lost back to them, restored their fortunes. Um, and it's not talking about wealth. It's talking about their land, their identity as a people, the place where they are supposed to dwell, the things that they considered the most important, their fortune in their heart. And God gave it all back. So, out of that flows the request. Restore our fortunes, God. O oh Lord. Like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. And those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. You see, the psalmist finds himself and his people in the same position as before. And he's calling upon an attribute of God. This is something that God is known to have done. And if God did it before, God can do it again. 
And so I call upon this and I, and I anchor my prayers in the will and attributes of God. And there's another one, Psalm 106. It's a very long one, so I took little pieces of it. Um, I think you should read this one this week. It's, it's over and over and over. They go into, he, the psalmist is describing the, 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 the work of God. I praise the Lord. I give thanks to the Lord uh, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then there's a lot more sort of praise to God and descriptions of the love of God enduring through people's sins, right? And then it says, we have sinned, even as our ancestors did, because he just was describing what the ancestors were doing. Uh, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your, earthly, to, to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea, because the Red Sea makes it worse. Um, yet he saved them for his namesake to make his, his mighty power known. And then he goes on and on and on, describing all the ways that God rescued his people and forgave them when they did wrong. And that ends in verse 7, 47 with, Save us, Lord, Lord our God. Gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, for everla- from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And so all of it is rooted in the attributes of God. Now, um, this is why, this, I mean, so the method of praying in this way, the whole point of this was um, to keep us from praying right, to keep us from praying wrongly. Um, the idea was that if you can't find an attribute of God that aligns with your particular request, if you can't point to some attribute, some history of God and say, um, this is who God is, and you can't justify your request without, by pointing to an attribute of God, perhaps you shouldn't be requesting that. If you can't find a place in the scripture where God is giving out Teslas, I don't know that you should be asking God for one. You know what I mean? Like, this is not pagan prayer that we are doing. We are the images and the icons of God, and our prayer is centered on us aligning individually and communally with who God is and what God does. And so it starts by recognizing what God has done and pointing to that and anchoring your prayer in that and saying, this is, this is what I need now, this attribute of yours. There's a particular method of prayer that flows out of these ancient Jewish ideas. By the way, the early Christians were all Jewish. This is what they were doing. The prayer, the type of prayers is particularly, it's called a collect prayer. It's spelled collect. Think collect call. Uh, it's, like, it's a collect prayer. All of you over 38, just understand what a collect call is. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, a, a, a collect prayer. Now, a collect prayer sort of takes this ancient idea, and it's a modern way of writing prayers, and it's not even modern. People have been doing it for 2,000 years. The vast majority of Christian prayers that have been written for the last 1,500 to 2,000 years are collect prayers. Um, let, let me show you an example of a collect prayer. It sort of mimics this, this sort of idea of rooting your prayers in the attributes of God. Um, I want to show you one that me and my family wrote. We, we wrote it back in the fall. Uh, we sat around the kitchen table. We have, it, we have, we have um, uh, a big chalkboard upstairs that we, that we wrote our prayer on. So we, before we did that, we sat around the kitchen table and we wrote it together. We said, what do we want to be praying for uh, in, in the fall? What, 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 do we, what do we need um, as a family? What do we need to be praying for? And at that particular time, in that moment, there had been a lot of sort of quarreling, a lot of fighting. Um, you know, I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and they, they fight. I have a 10-year-old. He's 10. Whatever. There's a lot of them. And they, they fight, and they argue, and they, and they, and they bring a lot of, a lot of, it brings a lot of difficulty and, and stuff into the house. 
Um, and so our prayer was for unity. So the big request that we had was grant us unity, love, and selflessness. This is the, the request that we have. And from here, we dive into the scriptures and we look at the attributes of God and we pull from our daily readings and whatever. And we start off by pointing to something that we, that we see as, as vital to what we want. Almighty God, who is above all gods, you display your love in your very being. How? Uh, because God is three in one, receiving and giving love. So we called upon the Trinitarian attributes of God, the Trinitarian model of, of how we understand God to be as revealed through Christ, that, that there is this, what the early church fathers would call a perichoresis. Uh, choresis is where we get our word for choreography. It, it means it's the divine dance. It's, it's uh, three in one. It's the Father, Son, and the Spirit, each giving love and receiving love. And so each is full and each is overflowing to the other. And this is an attribute of God. And we were created out of this, out of this community of the Godhead. And so now um, we are called to take part in this. And so we see this and we're like, this is what we want. And so the second half of our request flows. So first we have our request and we root it in an attribute of God. And after that, the second half of our request flows. Grant us unity, love, and selflessness that we may enjoy in our midst the love that you share. This is what we want. And then we put an ending on it, and we root it through the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we take this prayer, and we prayed it, and we went upstairs, and we wrote it on the big chalkboard, and every night we would stand before it, and we would read it together to be be reminded that this is who God is, and this is who we're striving to be. We're not calling into the darkness, asking for something that we don't know what it looks like. We're very specific on what we're asking for. Now, um, let me show you another one uh, real quickly that, that I wrote with um, a cohort of biblical scholars that I was working with, and we're working on, we were working on a project, and we wanted to make sure we had wisdom, and so this is what we wrote together. It says, Our Father, you manifest your glorious truth in your Son, our Savior. So this prayer is rooted in Jesus is, is the one who... who unveils God to us, who tells us what God is like. Grant that we may receive your wisdom in heart and mind and body, that we may breathe out your grace in our community, because we're all pastors, we all have church communities, and this is the grace that we want to bestow, not just knowledge, but wisdom and grace to our people, that we may breathe out your grace in our community through, the whole, through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And so this is the prayer that we were collectively praying as we studied the scriptures together and as we wrote and worked together. Um, this is the collect prayer. This is, this is how most Christians have prayed for, for most of church history. Um, modern uh, American evangelicalism, by and large, has rejected uh, formed prayers, pre-written prayers of any kind. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, we're, we're children of, of, of the Enlightenment. You know, we... Um, we had this idea that we must produce our own words, generate our own devotion from scratch every single morning as if we have this like never-ending well coming up out of us um, that unless we think of new words, we must be spiritually lazy or deficient. Uh, and it's part of the sort of puritanical guilt that, that sort of evangelicalism was sort of founded and laid upon us that like, no, you pray your prayers or they mean nothing. Don't pray the prayers of other people. Those aren't yours. You are an individual. You're not communal. You are an individual. And your prayers are special. Um, And so so a lot of people are really anxious to do things their own way. 
Um, and they're so anxious about it that if they get help from anyone else, they feel like their prayer isn't authentic. They feel that it doesn't come from their own heart. And they're instantly suspicious about using anyone else's prayer. And the thing is, more than anything, I think this reveals our tendency towards pride, towards thinking um, that we must be able to accomplish these things on our own or they mean nothing. I mean, this is embedded in the psyche of Americans. This is what we do. Um, we're self-sufficient, and so our prayers are our own and nobody else's. They are not communal in any way. It also, though, kind of smacks of works-based righteousness. We feel that we, feel that, that we, we don't want to admit it, but we feel that we, we, uh, we have to learn to do it effectively so it will be received by God. As if God isn't a loving father who won't receive, like, like me, like when my... When my son crinkles up a piece of paper and says, it's an elephant, and I love it. You know what I mean? Like, he's my son. Like, um, just because a prayer didn't spontaneously rise from the depths of your heart doesn't mean it isn't authentic. And I mean, growing up in a bit of a Reformed tradition, this always, in my mind, sort of pushed against the idea of total depravity. If I'm totally depraved and my heart is desperately wicked and, and uh, there's no good in my heart at all, then how could I trust myself to pray right? How could I ever trust myself to pray right? I could never write my own prayers. Um, and so this, this sort of what we tend to think of how they were praying in the first century, um, we tend to think it was just what we're doing, and, and it wasn't. Now, here's the thing. I don't want you to think that freeform prayer is bad because it's not. It has a time and a place, and here's the reason. Um, some Christians, some of the time, can sustain a life of prayer entirely of their own internal resources. Some Christians, some of the time, are overflowing with prayers which lead to effective and beautiful and meaningful and accurate and fully aligned freeform prayers. And that's beautiful. I know many of you are here. And this is your thing. You're good at this. You're grounded in this. Um, but here's the thing. What about when times are difficult? Perhaps we've all been to the place where we sit down to pray and we have nothing to say because we've suffered loss or we're lonely or we feel distant or we're carrying guilt from some atrocious sin that we have committed and nobody knows about it but us. And you sit down to pray and there are no words for you. You are not speaking over, of, from the abundance of your heart. What do you do then? Um, perhaps then we should lean upon others who wrote prayers from their abundance so that we can learn to use them in our emptiness. These things are all tools. They're all helpful. It's the same reason um, that Jesus... When the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, um, they weren't asking for a method and a lesson in freeform prayer. He didn't say divide up into groups and just listen and just speak. Not that any of that is bad, but that's not what Jesus was doing. What they were asking for and what Jesus gave them was a pre-written prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Um, they were asking for and were given a prayer to recite to ponder over, um, to ponder over and over and over again, uh, and, and, and words that they could learn and words that they could use. Here's what they were given. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
And forgive us, of our, give, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we traditionally add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what Jesus gave them so that they could recite this over and over and over. I mean, it's sort of like if you're going hiking, you're going to go on a journey. Someone told you, go find yourself. Like, you're out there somewhere. You're definitely not here. Go find yourself. And you pack up your stuff. And they walk in and you're making your boots. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm making boots. Why? Because I'm going on a journey. And I want to make sure it's my journey, not somebody else's. That's not what we do. We, we buy hiking boots. This is, why we, this is what we buy. Why do you buy hiking boots? Because they're made by hikers, uh, gather from hundreds of years of actual hiking. And they know what you will encounter while hiking and what you will need. You, the non-hiker, do not know what you need. And so collect prayers, the Book of Common Prayer, liturgies, the Lord's Prayer. These are hiking boots to carry you on your journey, to take you where you are trying to go. Because we know what the place looks like. It's the kingdom of God. And we're trying to pull these things together. Good liturgy, liturgy is basically other people's prayers, that's all it is. Good liturgy is an exercise in humility and gratitude. It is accepting that someone else has said better than I can what I deeply want to express. They said it better than I could. And so I can try to sort of mimic them or I can just, I can just pray this. They've been there. They wrote this prayer out of the abundance of their heart. I am empty. We are a community. We are the body of Christ. And when I am empty, they are full And so we pray this thing collectively together. And so I highly recommend resources like the Book of Common Prayer. Um, And there's plenty of versions of it. I'm using a version right now. It it started over last week. Um, It's by the theologian and activist Shane Claiborne. It's called Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals. And every day it's got like sort of a, um, it's got prayers, it's got hymns. It's good for groups as well because it's made to be done collectively, but it can also be done by yourself, and it's got little stories of Christians taking part in the kingdom of God. And it's just throughout of it. There's one for every day of the year, and it started over this week. Um, and so I, I'm using that right now. I, I always recommend that, like, we do these things. Continue. If you are a free-form prayer, continue that. However, attempt to root your, uh, your requests in the attributes of God, and I think you will you will find that, that you're praying more in tune with the things that God is actually doing around you. Um, good liturgy is important. Last week, so there's, there's more to this because oftentimes we sing songs um, and we're like, so what's the point of singing? I know there's a lot of you like to hang out outside or whatever um, and, and like you're not interested in the songs or whatever. Here's the thing about worship music. I, I, it, gets, it, gets a, it gets a bad rap these days because a lot of the modern stuff, and I complain about it too, a lot of it is, you know, the lyrics aren't, Real deep. I mean, open a thesaurus, somebody. But like, um, however, what we're doing when we sing worship music is we're engaging in prayer. Let me show you what I mean. We sang a song last week by Audrey Assad, and it starts off. This is a collect prayer. And once you see this, you'll see it everywhere. It starts off by telling about God. In the beginning, you hovered over the water. You broke an unbroken silence. You spoke light into darkness, and there was light. In the beginning, so that's about God. In the beginning, we were made in your image and we were naked and without shame until we fell for the darkness and then there was night. So it's about us to in our situation. Then there is this response. 
Your mercies are new. Your mercies are new, new every morning. Your mercies are new. Your mercies are new. They're new every morning. When we pray, when we sing, uh, we're, we're not just naming the attributes of God. I know oftentimes we read, we read worship lyrics and we think, so this is, this is the equivalent of like a dude describing his girlfriend. Like this is, this is like your hair is blonde, your shirt is brown, your, your, your pants are blue. And, you're, and it's like, and I, I, some people sometimes feel like, why are we doing this to God? Like you're strong, you're mighty, you're powerful, you're gracious, you're merciful. Why, why are we doing this? Here's why we're doing this. Um, it's not meaningless. We're doing this because we were created with an office to serve in and a vocation, work to do. That office and that vocation is the imago Dei, the images of God. We are put here so that when people look at us, they understand what God is like. They should be able to look at our lives and say, we know that Jesus is loving because this person is loving. We know Jesus is forgiving because this person is forgiving. We know that they're followers, they're an icon of Christ. The church, we can tell who Jesus is by looking at the church. This is how it's supposed to be. So when we're actually describing the attributes of God, we're not describing the attributes of God. We're describing the things that we should be. This is what we're doing when we sing worship music. So when we sing about about how God created everything one way and we screwed it up, but the mercies of God are new every day. We are also praying for ourselves that we intended for things to be one way and this person screwed it all up, but our mercies are new every day. Why? Because God's mercies are new every day. So we are, we are, we are affirming that this is what God is and we are crying out that this is what we want to be, that our mercies would be new every single day. This alone should change how you engage with worship music. You're not just describing God, you're describing your vocation the things that you are supposed to be, the way you are supposed to live. When you read scriptures, it is no different. Last week, Sam um, put this piece of scripture up, uh, Psalm 146, 6 through 9. I want you to like mentally go there with this passage. We're going to describe God, but we're describing our vocation and our office at the same time. Here we go. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. We're not outsourcing this. We're literally describing our job and our presence in the world. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Did you just describe yourself or not? What parts did you describe that are you? What parts did you describe that are just God and not you at all? Well, then it's time for repentance. This is how we read the scriptures. This is how we sing songs. This is how we pray. This is what Christian prayer is. This is how it functions. And so when we pray, when we sing, when we read the scriptures, all of it is prayer. It is our hands tied up, holding tightly to these ropes and pulling the kingdom of heaven and earth in closer. And if you don't have the words to say, it's okay. Prayer is a learned thing. Now, next week, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to try to answer a lot of the questions I received about prayer and received more this morning as well, about what is the role of the Spirit? Why do we say in Jesus' name, amen? What, why do we pray before meals? What do we do? What, what is, uh, why are we getting all these people to pray for something if God's going to do it or not do it? Does it make any difference? And let's talk about as many of these as we can 
next week. For now, I would, I would like our communion service to go and gather the elements and spread around the room because we're going to take communion now. We're going to respond to all of this. Um, and my prayer today is that we might both accurately understand and accurately portray God through our prayers and through our lives, through our music and through our, um, our scripture reading. Um, so uh, if you're new here, we take communion every single week. Um, I want to invite you to take part in it. You don't have to be a member of our church. Um, you're welcome to the table. The table's open for you. Um, and it, the table's equal for everyone, no matter how holy you are, no matter how messed up and sinful you think you might be, everyone receives equally the same thing at the table, the grace of God poured out and broken for each of us. And so we take some time and we take a piece of bread, we rip it off, we dip it in the wine glass and we eat it. It symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you, for your healing, for your salvation. It symbolizes the blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, This is how salvation enters into the world and we're not just saying that this is what happened for us, we're saying this is what we're doing for others as well. Even communion is a form of prayer, of alignment with God. Um, If you need prayer, there will be somebody in the back room to these doors on the left. Oh, I think it's on the right now. On the right, as the prayer room's over here, and we'll have somebody up here to pray with you as well. Um, and so let's take some time. Let's pray, and let's take communion, shall we? Father, you are the one who makes all things new. You are the creator of heaven and earth. And you don't just make things, you don't just create things, you renew them as well. And I ask that you would renew our hearts. Um, many of us um, are stranded in, in, our, in our spiritual life. Many of us are struggling. Many of us are, are crawling towards you with everything we've got. And the world feels to be conquering sometimes. I ask that you would send your spirit to hover over us, to spread the waters and to plant new life in our soil. That we may grow, that we may flourish, and that we may bear fruit for the world to see. We pray all of this in the name of your spirit, your Holy Spirit. Amen. Take some time and talk to Jesus today.